This is The Think Tank with Dr. Michael Neal, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Dr. Lawrence Krauss is a world-renowned physicist, public intellectual, and public advocate for science. He's also the uh, current host of the video podcast, The Origins uh, Podcast. Uh, He's been a think tank guest several times and one of my favorite guests ever. It's been almost (laughs) two years. I I checked it since you've been here. Welcome back. Wow. Wow. Time sure flies. Yeah, I really enjoy being here, so it's nice to be back. Especially since we've been all kind of embargoed (laughs) at home. Yeah, no, it's nice to actually physically be somewhere. In fact, it's the first time I've been back in Phoenix for a little while and 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 traveling and which is always a uh, an interesting experience. You do your podcast in a home office. Well, you know, I sometimes we have a studio here in Phoenix, mm-hmm. but we but but I actually yeah do it at home, uh, uh, which is now by the way in Canada and mm-hmm. um, and we and and film it there. Sometimes I, I, we also go to where people are. And but the foundation that I run, the podcast is run by a, a nonprofit foundation called the Origins Project Foundation, and uh, and so. The whole thing is nonprofit, and it, its headquarters are here in Phoenix. We have a studio, and and uh, and I'm very happy to say the foundation, which has been primarily doing the podcast and also running travel experiences, will be going to Greenland with some people um, uh, to 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 see Greenland before it becomes green <laughs> uh, um, uh, in in September. But we're actually happily again going to begin public events here in Phoenix, uh, if all things go well. In April, we're going to have the inaugural weekend, April 10th and 11th, an, an event with me and Richard Dawkins on April 10th, and on April 11th, an event with me and six of the most famous and well-known cosmologists in the world, including at least two Nobel Prize winners. And so uh, I hope people stay tuned. They can go to the website, uh, org to look, and tickets should go on sale. It'll be at the Orpheum Theater. Tickets should go on sale, uh, hopefully, by the beginning of March. Well, uh, good to see you in the flesh. Yeah, you know, you, we did this show remotely for about a year and a half. Oh, wow. And it was kind of okay, but not quite the same. Yeah, it's the same way I feel eyeball about eyeball, Yeah, you know. you know, I mean, I do a lot of my, our podcasts by Zoom, but yeah. it's always nice to be in the room with someone. It's, I felt the same way about teaching, too. I, you could teach when you, when you do those things, and I know a lot of my colleagues have been teaching remotely. Uh, it's not. I, I can't help but think, and probably get a lot of flack for this, that the, the remote teaching is just not the same as in class teaching. Teachers have told me that that they don't feel their kids are getting it quite the same, and and of course there is also they note a wide difference in the extent to which kids can adapt to it. You need. Uh, some of it is the technology. You know, your kid needs to have a quiet space. The long, not all of them have that. Yeah. So older, better than younger, but uh, kids adapt in varying degrees. It's to also that. the active learning aspect of it. I think you know, you, when I you're in a classroom, you, you, it's a lot easier to be passive when you're at your home and your computer. If you can't help it, to be distracted, but also passive, and part of the whole in classroom experiences to have a kind of interaction at least my my view of that is even if it's just a visual interaction you can see in people's eyes if they're really up close whether they're mm-hmm. getting it and you can ask questions more easily and i i'm sure a lot of my colleagues have adjusted to this and 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 are using zoom or whatever they use to try and 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 work through things but but uh i i i think we have classes for a reason otherwise we never would have had them yeah, well know. And I think the most horrible thing that many of our teachers have been subjected to 
is split situations yeah. where they've got some kids in the classroom and some on Zoom. That, to me, are probably worse than 100% Zoom. Yeah, it's true. Because I, the I, ones I'm, that aren't there are just not fully participating. Yeah, I, I think it's yeah, it's a problem. I'm, I'm very happy I retired before the, the pandemic <laughs> uh, and I have, don't have to worry about that. That's one, one thing that uh, I now don't have to worry about. Well, I want to start out asking you. This is this is about science, but it's really sort of about our notion of expertise in general. We seem there seems to be significant elements that are just rejecting the notion of expertise. That it's like my feelings dominate your years of study. Yeah, no, it's a very difficult situation where sort of the notion of objective truth is somehow disappearing and you know it came from the i think originated from the political arena uh obviously yeah you know, and when when it was clear that public figures were denying objective reality and and it's been and it's look I, you know we can't put all the blame on trump but it's been going on for a long time and politicians in general say what they need to say but it was became so much more explicit but now obviously with the pandemic um and and the question of vaccinations it's really it's really been unfortunate because, you know, the public on the whole, at least in – I don't know if people have done a recent survey, but scientists have all, on the whole been trusted by the public mm-hmm. more than almost anyone else. Way, way up there and, well, I, and I think it's taken a hit. Oh, sure. It really yeah. certainly has taken a hit and science shouldn't be political. I mean I, my last book, and you know, to make another blatant plug, the, the, the Physics of Climate Change, which I met, wrote during the pandemic because – I wanted to do something useful, and, <laughs> and it was the first time all my trips were canceled, and I suddenly was able to just write full-time, and I was able to write that book in about one-tenth the time of any other book I've written. But I wrote it about the science of climate change because it's become so politicized that people uh, – what happens when, when you start saying we need to have this policy, policy X, then people – and so then it becomes political – then people say, no, I don't like policy X, so I'm going to stop listening at that point. And, and what I wanted to do was just talk about the science so that people could say, yeah, OK, it, I'm, he's not recommending I get rid of my car or, or anything like that. Uh, and and uh, uh, so that people could at least open their minds a little bit. If they don't feel threatened, they might at least learn that climate change is real and happening with, and, and the science isn't controversial. And then you can decide, is it worth – reacting to and that's a different question so i think the problem is trying to separate the science from the politics and 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 scientists need to know how to do that but we are in trouble if if we don't and i remember i once had an editor of one of my books i think the book on the star trek who said if the aliens come people are going to turn to the scientists right away because somehow when you feel threatened and look what happened i mean it should be a celebration that we had this worldwide pandemic, and faster than any time in human history, scientists managed to develop a vaccine, which in principle has saved millions of lives. And yet that's become, for many people, uh, uh, something they protest. And I just Because it's inter- intertwined with the politics. Because it's become intertwined with the politics. And, and, uh, and because the, the necess- you would have thought, I, I guess I would have thought that people would be flocking in droves when the vaccine first came out to save their own lives, well, their I families. Think most are... did, but a significant minority did. I, and I remember sitting at the line out at the stadium. Yeah. And particularly it hit me when I got the, the second dose, which yeah. is what they said was yeah. necessary to yeah. really be yeah. effective. I, I felt like my life had changed. Interesting. You know, yeah. I, I, I felt before that, A, I'm cloistered in. Yeah. I can't go anywhere. 
and you know what? I might die. Yeah, no, right? it's – yeah, exactly. And I felt like that had been lifted. It was just this mo- – you know, kind of what I got is, okay, I might still with Omicron, you know, you might get it, but – Look at who's in the hospital. It's unvaccinated yeah, people. Yeah, I guess I felt that way after the booster because because uh, 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 because I realized that yeah, I can, and I have a number of friends who've had the boosters and also gotten COVID after that. And and and, and in fact, my daughter did, and she barely a cold. And 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 the point is, it 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 can't protect you 100% against getting COVID. But what it can do, as you just said, is is keep you out of the hospital. And that's and. You know, and how can you, you know, what's the responsibility of government here? Is it, to, is it to protect people or require people to protect themselves? It's a interesting question. And Arizona is, of course, a state where people don't want to be told what to do. Uh, let me give you an example of where I'm coming from because it's probably going to turn off a lot of your listeners. Anyway, I see people riding motorcycles without helmets, okay? Now, they're going to die if they get in an accident. And, uh, and uh, it, you know, on the highway with a motorcycle. And sure, they should be allowed to kill themselves. But the problem – there are lots of other problems for society if they do allow themselves to kill themselves, uh, including everyone else's insurance goes up. So should, should there be a social contract in which we have a collective responsibility to, to, to try and ensure uh, that, that other people's safety, uh, well-being as well as ourselves? And it's a, it's a tricky – and you, you can make valid arguments on both sides, I and, think. And it's not a new thing. Seat belts. Exactly. Uh, smallpox vaccinations. I mean, there's no, a that, long that, list that's of That's the point. Yeah. That, exactly. <laughs> it's even more than that. We require, we require people to have car insurance for a reason. Okay? We require – actually, people haven't thought of that, although a lot of people may be against it. We generally require kids to go to school mm-hmm. okay? because we you know, we know there's that an education – There's a societal reason for it's, it. A, there's a societal reason for it. So there's nothing new about, about requiring people to be able to protect themselves and moreover protect people around them, which is really the real reason. I don't mind if people don't get vaccinated and, and, and die, but the, the likelihood of transmission to people who might be vulnerable is, what, is, is, is some concern. We'll be back with Lawrence Krauss in just a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are talking to Dr. Lawrence Krauss, physicist and public intellectual. We were talking about the, the, the vaccine. I, I want to tell you an argument that I heard. This is an argument that says, you see, these sciences, scientists don't know anything. Uh-huh. We were told that if you had the vaccine, you couldn't spread you know, uh-huh. and now they're saying you can. And I'm saying, wait a minute. My understanding was until Omicron developed, uh-huh. basically, you didn't. If you had the vaccine, you didn't spread. Now there's a new variant. Well, and so and, and it behaves differently. And it does. Well, look, the point is nothing's 100 percent. Vaccines aren't 100 percent effective. They're not 100 percent effective at protecting you or or stopping transmission. Mm-hmm. They're, what they do is they reduce they reduce the numbers they they reduce the probabilities just like wearing a mask does and so uh, the problem that is a what, lot it, yeah it yeah it, a lot. But, but it's a it's a real issue about being a scientist that people would like black and white answers a hundred percent or zero percent and and that's just not the way science works that's the way and people so, go to religion and, the, and yeah it's right <laughs> but the other thing and I wrote an article early on in the pandemic saying. Oh, scientists, you know, people say scientists are going to say this, but now we just learned that. And I said, well, you know what? That's part of science. This pandemic just began. How do you expect? It's not Star Trek where you solve every problem in 30 minutes. How do you expect 
scientists who are just beginning to get data to know all the answers. When we get more data, we'll learn what, how, how to better deal with right. this, and, and our answers will be more reliable. So understand that science is an empirical discipline, and it takes time. And to expect to know everything about a pandemic in the first two months is amazing. The fact, as I say, it's almost unbelievable for me that within a year, we knew enough to be able to create a vaccine that was safe. Well, because there had been a lot of basic work well, of course, done, yeah. that it, it, because it didn't really start from scratch. Of course. It started from a lot supporting a lot of that basic research that people don't want to fund because they don't think it's immediately practical. Exactly. And that's why you could do this in a year. Yeah, the MR, mRNA stuff is just amazing to me. Uh, 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 but you're right. Funding that's a big problem with funding research that you have to talk about governments to and the public. People want research aimed at X, at solving X problem. But most of the major problems we've been able to solve have been solved because we've funded basic curiosity-driven research. Or, the, or they want the drug companies to fund the ba- – but drug companies will not pay for the basic research because it doesn't have a soon enough, a quick enough payback. Y- yes, they will some... pick up on that and go from there when they got something to go work with. Yeah, although some of them, you know, if they have a lot of money, will 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 fund programs to because it's worth it for them to sort of throw some dollars out to see what mm-hmm. might come out of it. And you know, the, it, it, let me give you an example. I guess you have to be. That's why we rely on government for supporting well, the research. internet. The government yeah. built the internet. Well, now all sorts of private companies are willing to and, and, piggyback and, off and, of that. And and, and 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 my friend Elon Musk is able to is able to send rockets into space, uh, uh, not to diminish the incredible work that SpaceX has done. But let's face it, all the initial work on sending rockets into space was paid for by the government, and so mm-hmm. now industry can can take over. And there's there's good examples that suggests that at least 50% of the gross national product of the United States now is due to curiosity-driven research funded by governments over 25 years ago. And, uh, and so we have to realize that, th- that the way to get, to, to get new results is to allow scientists to explore what problems they think are interesting and not, and not have everything be applied. And it's, it's – uh, uh, you can look back and say, well, if we'd wanted to – if we'd asked in the 1950s to build – give money for faster computers, they would have faster wheels and, and – and, and, but instead, the transistor was discovered by, at Bell Labs. And, I, and, and Bell Labs is an interesting example here because the, Bell was able to fund independent research – because they had a monopoly. They had a monopoly that <laughs> yeah. was a cash machine. Yeah. The minute, and they brought it – Bell Labs – uh, at the time, was probably the equivalent of Google today. They got big piles of money, and they could send. I knew somebody who was a scientist there. It was the greatest job in the world. They just send you there, give you unlimited money. You didn't even have to teach or anything. Yeah, I know. You it was just, great. It was an ideal job. 100 research. And then the minute they stopped being monopoly, they basically closed Bell Labs because, because they, it didn't make money, money for them tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. And so, so because industry is constrained in a competitive world to, to make money and to be able to you know, their shareholders to be able to address mm-hmm. that. That is why when it comes to long-term problems, you need government to support science. There's a lot of problems that will only be resolved by government supporting science. And and you know what? The amount that government uses to support science is still such a small percentage 
of the gross national product that it's it, that that concerns about wasting money uh, on these researchers who may be looking at something that seems obscure is just it, it's it's not worth you know worrying about. It's a it's a decimal point in the in the yeah. in the defense budget. Probably like like people's perceptions of foreign aid, which people think is huge and it's yeah. well under one percent. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's just amazing when you think of the. Um, the National Science Foundation budget was, you know, which was going to be double. But uh, then, you know, the National Science Foundation budget is a five or ten billion dollars, which is, you know, which used to be real money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but now, I mean, it's just it's just a, a small percentage of the, of the amount of money that's spent almost anything else, and it's uh, and so you, the bang for the buck when it comes to supporting science is uh, and and intellectual. It, it, not just science. I don't want to sound like I'm being a chauvinistic. The money we spend on on culture and art and music—that's what makes human life worth living. And and the the paltry amount of money in the National Endowment of Humanities and Arts—it's—it's it's really uh, amazing when you think of what do you want to do when you're a human? When you're you know when you're when you're off work, you want to think about. Fascinating ideas. You want to watch interesting entertainment. You want to listen to good music. That's what makes living worthwhile. You know, one thing, real quick, and we got just a minute. I think people really miss on the like on about science. They think that that you make money when you agree with anybody else. If anything, it's absolutely the opposite. You, when you disagree with the world, you become That's what makes improvement. famous. Every scientist yeah. goes into their lab or their office every day hoping to prove their colleagues wrong because ultimately that's what, that's what makes you famous. That's the career payoff. Yeah, that's that, the career that's, payoff. That's you come up with something that – Breaks, doesn't but the, agree. Yeah, exactly. The difference is you have to be right, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the end, that's a really important fact. Uh, it's, you, can't, you can't just invent contrary ideas. Some people do, but you, the payoff is only if you if you're right and everyone else is wrong. Okay, we'll be back with Lawrence Krauss. Fascinating discussion in the think tank. We'll be back after the break in just a moment. The think tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with Lawrence Krauss uh, talking about science and related issues. Acceptance of science, I guess. I think one of the things that I see coming up over and over is people have real trouble with the I don't know response. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And very often it's the smartest people in the world who are most aware of how little they know. It, it, it's it's really hard to say I don't know, and I wish more people would say it. I wish more teachers would say it and more parents mm-hmm. would say it. It's also if you're a scientist, by the way, and you're asked a question by an interviewer, it's really hard to say I don't know. <laughs> you you want to give them what they want to hear. Yeah. and But I don't know is probably the most important thing you can say because it means you could learn something. Mm-hmm. If you're a parent or a teacher – you know, and a kid asks a question, I don't know. Hey, let's try and find out what the answer is together. We'll discover it together. And, but you're right. The fact that people expect scientists to often know everything. Right away. Right, right away. away. And, and with absolute certainty. And the great thing about science, believe it or not, is that there's uncertainty and that we can quantify the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. We can say, you know, I'm, I, I, this is what's likely to happen, but you know what? I have a, Two percent uncertainty, or and or five percent. That may be important mm-hmm. to you or not. Uh, and so this notion that science science is exact, but at the same time inexact. Okay, because we, we've been able to, in certain areas like my own fields of physics, be able to measure things to seven decimal places. But that means we know if something weird's happening in the eighteenth eighth decimal place. That tells us it's something mm-hmm. significant. And so. 
the, the I don't know aspect is something that we that is a central part of science because in fact it wouldn't be worth do, doing science if we knew everything. In fact, I I have a, a new I, I actually am writing a new book called The Known Unknowns. It's just but but the things we don't we know we don't know about the universe and and. Uh, uh, it's fascinating to realize that we don't know everything because that makes – for me as a scientist, that makes it worth getting up in the morning because I, I, I'm, I'm literally certain I'm likely to be surprised that day. But if you want certainty, I guess that's why you go – that's why religion is there. Yeah, absolutely. Religion gives you a, a, a certainty, which of course is one of the reasons why religion is false But <laughs> because, because we're not certain about many things. And I understand that people crave certainty. I mean I understand that there's – that they want – that it's 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 a sense of comfort to believe you know exactly the way the world's going to work and science but science comes as close as we can get but you know what science and nature i often say this and this is particularly important nowadays in times when people are when education is being confronted in many ways i used to say the purpose of science but i'll say now the purpose of education in some sense is to make you uncomfortable because if you're always comfortable you're never go if you're you're in your, within your comfort zone you're never being challenged to learn new things to discover where areas where you might be wrong and you might have to revise your thinking and so this this notion that you should always be comfortable is uh, in my mind unfortunate because uh, uh, an important part of life is 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 realizing you're wrong and realizing the world is different than you thought it was and that can be exciting instead of something to be afraid of. And and the unknown, you know, Richard Feynman once said, the famous Nobel Prize winning physicist, he said, I'm not afraid of not knowing, of living in a universe that I can't understand because, you know, it's exciting to be thinking about, to, to not understand things. So it's really a matter of your perspective. For some people, not knowing is 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 something to be afraid of. And for others, it's it's a challenge to learn. And I hope I can convince more people to be challenged. A related thought, I'm sure you've followed some of these instances where you've seen parents confronting school boards. And we we want cameras in the classroom so that in case a teacher says, teaches something we don't want yeah. taught to our kids. Yeah. No, it's, it's – I, I have – I have a hard I, I have a hard time with that in general. I, the whole, again, I'll probably alienate a number of your listeners, but part of the reason of school for school is to get kids away from their parents. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because you know, the point is that that um, that it, it is an opportunity for lots of kids to be exposed to new things that they're not exposed to at home, and that's good. We should because be, because being exposed to different. Thoughts about the world to different ways of living is part of what turns us to, into being not only wiser but more tolerant people in general. And I th- so I think the point is that that parents are are generally not trained enough to to have a good idea of what the curriculum should be. If they were, then they'd all be teachers. And uh, you know that doesn't that that. Function doesn't work in a school, however, where you parents are self-selecting a school where they're all of like mind. Yeah, no, I, I mean that's right, uh, and, and or self-selecting something you listen to. I mean that's the problem. We're all living in echo chambers. Too many of us nowadays. But you're right. If you select schools because they don't challenge what you want your kids to learn, then you're doing your kids a disservice. In fact. Uh, I once said, you know, and I'll say it again, I guess uh, Richard Dawkins and I both had said, I think in Ireland, that in some sense religion is child abuse. And what we meant by that is notions of God and and and, and spirituality are, are deep issues, d- very deep questions. And to expect a three-year-old 
to be able to to, to actually digest those issues intellectually as opposed to emotionally is is really inappropriate. You know, if you you should wait till the right time for kids to be able to address those issues. And similarly, um, um, expecting kids to to not be to to never be able to understand anything outside the house is to also be some kind of abuse to them because you're not giving them the opportunity to learn and the opportunity to discover that maybe you as a parent are wrong and that maybe something you thought about there whether it you know anything whether it's a 5000-year-old earth or 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 the, uh, the 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 efficacy of vaccines might actually be wrong and then you can have an interesting discussion with your kids and maybe learn from your kids just like as a teacher and as a professor, I, one thing I love about what used to love about having graduate students is that is that there's this change that takes place from the beginning of graduate school where they're learning to the end of when they're getting their PhD when they're teaching you. You know, I, I, I can relate. To, I'm still working through some of the trauma of Catholic school. <laughs> well, you know, and I think I think a lot, I know my, my first wife was Catholic and she was experienced that trauma. And I think. But you know, uh, it's interesting. It depends. Uh, you know, the Jesuit tradition, of course, is a little bit that's, different. That's that's almost they're, they're they're they get in trouble with the Pope all the time. Yeah, they, for being heretics. Yeah, yeah. They're the, and, they're they're the thinking folks. You know, and 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 uh, you know, uh, if there's anyone still listening, uh, I, I have problems with the Pope for a number of reasons, including this Pope who looks like a kinder, friendlier version of the same thing, but it's still the Pope. Has often said, "Hey, you know what? Too much questioning is a bad thing, and it, that's that's an awful thing to say. There's never, you can never ask too many questions, and and questioning things is something we should all be doing all the time, when we're listening to me or you or listening to our favorite echo chamber or listening to politicians. Um, but you know, qu- questioning is different than denying. Hey." The question is saying, hey, that doesn't sound reasonable. Let me try and understand the answer. Let me look up a variety of sources to see. And that's really what science is all about, is having ideas and then constantly testing them. You know, that science is a part of what we should all be doing in everyday life. That's why I think it's so important for people to understand it. It's a process. It's not that I think everyone should understand physics, but the process of science, of of, of learning how to prove yourself wrong, of testing, of looking at multiple sources – all of those things are an essential part of being a, 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 an educated human being and being a good citizen as well. Uh, I would make the distinction, and, and, and I think it's the important one. Don't be cynic. A cynic rejects everything. Oh, they're all lying to me, yeah, right? exactly. That's a cynic. That's bad. Skeptic is good. Let me question everything that everybody says it, it, and see it, if it holds up. Exactly. And and I think you'd exactly to be skeptical would be a healthy skeptic. Now, clearly we can't all understand everything. So we have to we, we have to turn to sources who in some sense we can trust, but we can tell if we can trust them by at some level. You know, if a bio, uh, just a biologist talking about biology more than I say I would trust a lawyer talking about biology. And but that but at the same time I have to ask myself the question if the biologist is saying this and it seems strange or, or disagrees with my own experience, I better check to see if if that person, you know, if, if that what that person's saying is true. So we all rely on quote unquote experts, but we should still be prepared to question what we hear while at the same time not, while at the same time recognizing that experts are experts for a reason. They're not, it's, it's not that, that scientists are, are right. 
it's not that that what they're saying is incontrovertible or unquestionable. It's just recognizing that they're not a th- that there's a difference in science between authorities and experts. In science, there is no authority. There's no mm-hmm. no one like the Pope to whom who's mm-hmm. infallible. There's everything is subject to question. But you can be a scientific expert, which means you've studied this and you know a lot about it, and you might be worth listening to. And the other thing that is, I think, people can fall into is. This thing about that one you, consensus is when like ninety nine percent or something yeah. like that of scientists agree. There is always that one percent who's out there of people who are highly credentialed and degreed, and they're just off the reservation somehow. And 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 you know they can sound very reasonable, but you know you know, you'll never get a hundred percent absolutely and to, it's not a it's not a democracy okay mm-hmm. science is based on what works and what and 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 if it works it you go with it and and you're absolutely right. I hate when people say 98% of climate scientists think that or that because you're right there's always going to be a tail. I've spoken and you're right they sound reasonable. I've I've talked to journalists there's a flat earth there are flat earth society. There was a meeting of this flat earth group which had something like 300 PhDs at this meeting about a flat earth. I mean give me a break but these so you can find a PhD to say anything. And so uh don't 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 look for at science sort of for democratic. It's not as if fifty one percent of scientists vote. If, if you're looking for the one person who said something that you want to believe, if you start go yeah, that way, yeah. you'll always find them. Uh, exactly, and that's for anything. Part of, and that's part of the problem with journalists too, because they always, you know, when I used to talk two about sides. alien abduction, there always seems to be two sides or something. But as I say, the great thing about science is one side can be wrong. Yeah. yeah. There's not two. Yeah. First of all, sometimes there's many sides. Yeah, sometimes many sides. And, and sometimes and, there's really only one plausible exa- side. Well, more importantly, with science, we can say not what's right with 100% of certainty, it's 100% certainty, but we can say what's wrong with 100% certainty. We can say the earth isn't flat. Mm-hmm. The earth isn't 6,000 years old. We can say that with 100% certainty. We can't, you know, w- there may be things at the forefront of science that are that are questionable and, and subject to controversy. So it's great. One of the, the reason we, science progresses is we can get rid of the bad ideas. And that's great. And that's that's what science is set up to do better than anything. Exactly. Is to cast out stuff that you, you know isn't true. Exactly. And to learn how to realize when yourself, to, to question yourself, that, that to, to learn what isn't true. And like Sherlock Holmes once said, you know, you get rid of all the things that aren't true, you might be getting to the truth. And that's what science is all about. But the easiest person to fool is yourself. And so science is also provides a mechanism to try and get over your own biases and 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 that's probably the hardest thing to do, and as a scientist, as or as a human being, because we're we're hardwired to have biases. Uh, when we return for a final segment, uh, you alluded earlier to your most recent book. I want to ask you about that, and specifically, I want to ask you the question: uh, Do we have reason to believe that some of the uh, issues we have with client uh, with 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 climate change, there will be? a technological revolution that will get us a lot closer to a solution, given that political solutions seem to be uh, tough to come (laughs) by. When we return with Lawrence Krauss' final segment in just a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're talking to scientist Lawrence Krauss uh, about his most recent book, uh, or at least least tangentially related to, to that. My question is this. 
Uh, we have kind of a war over climate change. Yeah. You've got people who are concerned about it. You've got others who deny it, and most of whom seem to have some vested interest in, uh, well, this will cut my oil business or whatever. And But the problem is that uh, the solutions that currently exist, for the most part, involve a substantial amount of pain. We're well, going to... It, Hear me out, and you can yes. that that you, we're going to have to either pay more for energy or change this or or restrict our behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and the question is, is there a technological, uh, if not solution, at least is there so, technology on the uh, on the horizon that seems likely to make this less painful? Well, let me say I, when it comes to climate change, and I and again I, I want to stress that my book was about trying to explain what climate change is all about, and not. Not, you know, um, talking about uh, 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 um, political solutions. I, I think it's important to understand what the problem is before you tar- start discussing policy. But the, the, the problem isn't a technological one. I think we have lots of technological possibilities. The problem is a political one, ultimately. If, if we cannot politically encourage the world to go on a route that, that cuts carbon emissions – then there are technological solutions that may ameliorate some of the near-term problems of climate change. But but people may, will, should realize that there are issues there. One of the proposed technological solutions that I suspect is going to happen simply because I don't think governments are going to be able to get their act together enough is, is the idea of what's called geoengineering. Um, the notion is that if you – it's well known that, for example, when large volcanoes go off in the world, hit, you can look at the climate. And, and they produce particular matter, sulfites in the atmosphere, that essentially reflect or block sunlight. And the world has gone through cold periods, often killing many people because it affects farming. But it's been realized if we, if, if we artificially send up uh, particulate matter – um, and, and a variety of, of – uh, basically a little bit of pollution if you want to think of it mm-hmm. that way – up into the upper atmosphere, we can reduce the net uh, amount of sunlight power coming into the earth so that, so that uh, uh, while carbon dioxide is reducing the amount of power being emitted into space, if we reduce the amount of power coming in, we can make the two equal and the earth won't heat up as much. So that's, so that's a, a solution that's mm-hmm. potential. But the problem is – we don't know all the other side effects. That was that was my question. There's usually uh, there's usually a consequence yeah, yeah. somewhere and, else. Now, I was a real opponent of geoengineering when that was first proposed. But a colleagues of mine who are who are more expert climate scientists than me have told me one interesting thing. See, one of the problems with carbon, and people should realize it. The reason we have to address carbon now, even though the effects may be long term over some, and some of the effects may be over hundreds of years, if not a millennia, some of them are decades away. But is, is not that we can wait – the reason we can't wait till later to solve the problem is that I like to say it's kind of the Las Vegas effect. Uh, what, you know, when, it, when it comes to carbon, what happens in the atmosphere stays in the atmosphere. And the carbon that we put in the atmosphere, uh, the, that carbon abundance will stay there for more or less a thousand years. And so every year when we add – we we we're we're increasing the net abundance. So that's the problem with carbon. But the problem with these with the with the uh, materials that were the the reason we should, don't have to worry about geoengineering so much as mu- at least as much as I thought earlier is that these materials have a half life in the atmosphere of more like a year or two. 
So if we screw things up, it won't if, be forever. It, it, yeah, I mean exactly. I mean in a year or two that you can. So that maybe make you feel a little bit better, but it's still not a solution. It's just a, it's just a what it what it may do is mediate some of the near term effects, giving us more time to develop ways to become carbon free. Because we can't continue to increase the carbon abundance of the atmosphere uh, indefinitely, and the effects are are dramatic. They're already being seen, and so. What what that kind of technological solution will do is allow us maybe more breathing room to to figure out ways to more efficiently develop alternative ways of producing energy and using energy. And there are lots of good technologies on the horizon. And you're right, there is some pain, but 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 the truth is, whenever whenever there's an incentive to do research and development for new things, it helps the economy in the long run. And so. If we can, if we can increase the incentives for, for producing better batteries, um, more efficient solar panels, etc., uh, and uh, more efficient ways to conserve energy here in Arizona, for example, though those are not those don't have to be painful. They can be beneficial. They can produce economies and technologies that increase the standard of life for everyone in the community. Where do you put nuclear as part of the mix? Nuclear is an essential part of the mix. Um, you know, people are afraid of nuclear energy. It's got a bad rap, and it's unfortunate because, uh, first of all, you know, r- the word radioactivity scares people, mm-hmm. right? But it's a lot easier to measure radioactivity than it is coal pollution, for example. Mm-hmm. And if you look, even after Fukushima and Three Mile Island and even at Chernobyl, the number of people that have died because of nuclear power is, is a small fraction at best, of the number of people that die every year because of coal. Okay, so it's like it's like why we're afraid of getting uh, in a plane crash and not an automobile crash when the latter is about a thousand yeah, times yeah, more deadly. Yeah, 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 exactly. And 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 it's also worth realizing that that a lot of the early nuclear accidents were based on bad design, but you learn from that. And and there's a whole new generation of nuclear reactors that are coming out that are better designed. And the and nuclear doesn't produce you know doesn't have carbon as an offshoot and so heard it, it's, not, it's basically clean it, if yeah you, if it's you not, deal with the waste unlike some people I don't think it's a panacea I don't think it's a solution to every every you can't go 100 percent nuclear it, I mean it takes 20 years to effectively mm-hmm. build especially with the regulations in the United States but you know 10 to 20 years to build a nuclear power plant they're big capital investments there are a lot of things that 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 uh, that that can be done that don't require those big capital investments. And also one of the big problems is is not just energy generation but transmission. You can't put produce nuclear plants in every neighborhood or you, you, you can it's produce – centralized. Gotta, yeah, it's centralized. So – but it should be a part of the mix. And all the people who have looked at, at, at real rational policy say there's not one silver bullet. There's a lot of things you have to do. Conservation, um, you know, some different – uh, renewable power sources and nuclear, and all of those things going in the mix will help. But there's not one. There's not. It's, it's not one magic bullet or silver bullet. I did wonder about the wisdom of Germany pulling the plug on all their nuclear, oh, and things, the which States, were already built. Yeah, and the United States has done that too. There have mm-hmm. been fully functional nuclear reactors that, because of because of the bad rap, people have been you know wanting to take offline, and and that's mm-hmm. that's just a mistake, and. and and uh, you know we can and engineers can learn from their mistakes. So uh, what? Real quick, we got just a brief thing. Yeah. Solar 
works when it's built. What about the the negative environmental uh, impact of the production of solar panels? Well, you know, how, all, how bad is that? Well, you know, they all any any large scale technology and and construction projects are going to have negative impacts, and 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 you're absolutely right. We have to look at that. Mm-hmm. On the whole, right now for solar power. In general, I believe it, you can, and it, it's an interesting question. But in general, it, it it's it's positive and not negative. But but nothing nothing is a hundred percent of yeah, a solution the, the without any problems. Standards too high for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so anything we do is going to have risks and 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 cost benefits. It's part of science. It's part of life. Thank you very much. Hope you come back soon, Lawrence Krauss. Uh, we'll see you next week in the think tank. To reach me, the website is mikeoneal.org, which is a gateway to email or reaching me by any other means. See you next week. In the think tank.